to welcome everyone who made it out today, also those who are watching us via the stream and also on TV. Would you welcome everybody right now? We really appreciate that. We're so glad that everybody could join us. This is a crazy time, isn't it? But I'm so thankful for the church here and abroad all over the country. In fact, all over the world that call Sagebrush their home. I've got some exciting things to share with you. This weekend, our Farmington campus is finally having their grand opening celebration. So that's exciting. Isn't that great news? We're so excited for our Farmington campus, and we know that that physical facility is going to really minister to really, over time, thousands and thousands of people are going to give their lives to Christ on that piece of property. Marriages are going to be restored. Prodigal sons and daughters are going to come home, and it's because of everyone's faithfulness. All the Sagebrush campuses, all the folks who watch us online and on TV, and you give your tithes and your offerings to this church, you have a big part in that. We could not have done that or finished that uh, without your participation and your, and your generosity. So thank you so much for that. As a way of saying thank you, we're having a VIP night. Uh, it's going to be next weekend. It's going to be at 7 o'clock. So if you're a person who serves in a ministry of our church, uh, we're going to do a, a special service just for our VIPs. Now, if you're thinking about serving or you're interested in everything that we've gone through during this COVID season, that's what I'm going to be talking about next Sunday night at 7 o'clock. Now, if you're a VIP and you serve in a ministry, you're also going to receive a T-shirt and you're going to receive a one-day-at-a-time bracelet. So make sure you tune in and all the details uh, will be given to you. But mark that down, not this Sunday night, but next Sunday night, 7 o'clock, VIP. Okay? Now, this week, we conclude our series called Under the Surface, and we're talking about having an un ungrateful spirit. And then next week, we begin a brand new series called Are We There Yet? We're going to look at four questions that every person needs to have a compelling answer to, and we're going to look at it from the perspective of a parent trying to make sure their kid has an answer to these questions. But these are four questions that every person needs to have a compelling answer to, and I haven't been more excited about a series in a long time as I end about this one coming up. Let me show you a little promo. Take a look at this. You've probably heard it said, life is a journey, not a destination. But we are all going somewhere, right? What about when it comes to childhood? Sure, we should all take the time to make the most of each stage of life, enjoying them as they come. But... Are we there yet? Easier said than done, because there's always an end goal in sight. There's always another milestone to reach. If a parent's job is to get their kids prepared for life, how do we know when we get there? Join us for a new series where we explore the essential questions to help you and your family navigate the journey of life. So I'm, pretty, I'm very, 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 very excited about this particular series. Now listen, you cannot give your kids compelling answers if you don't have them for yourself. So it's very important that you tune in and that you watch every single one and you work through these questions because they can literally, I'm not over-exaggerating this like preachers do from time to time, this can change the trajectory of your life. I know that it changed the trajectory of mine, so I hope that you won't miss a single week of that. All right, let's conclude our series under the surface. We're going to talk about being ungrateful. Happened years ago, myself and Scott Harrop, when he was on staff, and Chris Dreyer and Bobby Church, they all make up or made up the executive team. 
We were out having lunch, talking about church business, and then we were heading back to the church. Now, we had driven in two different cars, and Scott and I were in one car, and Baba Church and Chris Dreyer were in the other car. Scott and I had an errand that we had to run before we went back to the church, so we were a little bit behind Baba Church and Chris Dreyer. And as we're driving down the road to get to the church, we noticed that there was some smoke in the distance. And I said to myself, I said, self, I said, yeah. I said, that looks like it's coming in the direction of the church. I hope the church isn't on fire. So I, I went a little bit quicker to get there a little bit faster. And sure enough, when we pulled into the parking lot, there was a fire. Now, for those of you who have never been to our Riverside campus, there's a big open field area in Albuquerque called the Bosque. And the Bosque was on fire right behind the church. Uh, a lightning bolt had hit a tree. Uh, the trees are, are made up of cottonwoods. There's some salt cedar. If you ever see salt cedar go up, it goes up like a stick of dynamite. It's unbelievable. That's why they're trying to get rid of all the salt cedar they can in the bosque. It just blows up. I mean, I watched it on this particular day. And there's all this tumbleweed and sagebrush everywhere as, as well. And so it was on fire. And then one tree caught another tree on fire, which caught another tree on fire. And then there's some salt cedar that went on fire. And it burst into flames. And before we knew it, there was 10, 15, 20 trees that were on fire. Well, in the distance, I saw that Baba Church and Chris Dreyer had jumped the fence and had run back. Now, way behind the church, there's a house that's back there, and the guy who owns that house has some horses, championship horses. And they're stuck in this corral, and fire is surrounding the corral, and the horses are going to die if someone doesn't leap into action. And some of the hired hands of that particular ranch were already trying to get a gate open, but they couldn't get it open. So Bobby Church and Chris Jai are running trying to get that gate open. Bobby Church said to me, so it's like a scene out of a movie. He said there were embers flying everywhere, little fires parking up everywhere. All of a sudden, a salt cedar would explode. He said, we got to the gate, and we're pushing on the gate, we're pushing on the gate, doing everything we can. And finally, they got the gate open. And the horses ran away from the fire, and they were saved. Now, you would think, that after that happened, that Baba Church and Chris Dreyer would receive a thank you from the owners of the ranch. You would think that the hired hands would say to the owner, hey, listen, a couple of guys from the church came running over here. You ought to go over there and thank them because we wouldn't have saved your horses if it wasn't for them. You ought to at least give them a call. But Baba Church and Chris Dreyer didn't even get a phone call. Now, does that make you mad a little bit? Does that rub you wrong just a little bit? Now, I don't want to be guilty of the same thing. i got to give a shout-out to the fire department because there were 10 fire trucks that came on the scene, and they put a wall of fire trucks between the fire and our church, and they made sure that our church wasn't going to be affected. So I want to say a big thank you to all the firefighters who protect us every single day. I don't want to be guilty of the same thing. But there's something about when someone's not grateful, it just rubs us wrong. I was reading a book the other day by Kyle Eidelman. And in the book, he shared a story about a friend of his who gave a car to his sister. He was going to trade it in. It was worth $10,000. But he knew his sister really needed a car. And so he said, you know what, I'll give the car over to my sister, no strings attached. And so he did. He went over to her. He said, listen, I know you need a car. It's a reliable car. I was going to trade it in, but I want you to have it. And she just looked at him kind of nonchalantly. And she said, well, thanks. And that was, that was about it. Well, a couple of weeks went by, and he got a text from his sister. And she was mad that she had to pay taxes on the car. 
He thought that was a little strange. Well, I gave you a $10,000 car. It's just going to cost you a couple hundred bucks, you know. You take care of the taxes. Well, then a couple more weeks goes by, and he gets another text from his sister. Hadn't heard from her except for the car situation. And she said, I'm a little upset because I had to replace two tires on the car. And he said, well, I'm, I'm, re I'm really sorry. I kind of just gave you a car, you know. And then about a month or two goes by, and it's now springtime, and it's getting warmer outside. And she texts him, and she says, hey, the air conditioner doesn't blow as cold as I'd like. Now, let me ask you a question. At what point in time would you like to take the car back? You know what I mean? At what, at what point in time would you say to yourself, you say, self, you say, yeah, I'm never giving her a car again. And why would you have that thought? Because there's something about somebody being ungrateful that it just messes with us. Let me, let me talk to the parents here for just a second. Parents, what were the things that you try to teach your kids right off the bat, even when they're very, very small? You always want them to say two phrases or two things. You want them to say please, and you want them to say thank you, right? I remember when my kids were little, uh, they would watch Barney the Dinosaur. Does anybody remember Barney the Dinosaur? Anybody remember? You got old. That's what you are right there. Okay, Barney the Dinosaur, Barney the Dinosaur. And, and he had a little song, and it went something like this. Please and thank you, they are the magic words. Remember that song? Some of you remember that song because you sang that song to your kids, right? Because that's what I did. When my kids didn't say please, I'd start the song, please and thank you, they are the magic words. And they'd roll their eyes and they'd go, please, you know. It's kind of a reminder to them. When they didn't say thank you, I'd sing the song. I, I bet I sang that song a million times over the course of maybe a year or two. Please and thank you, they are the magic words. When your kids have a birthday party. And everybody comes and brings your kids gifts, and they open up the gifts. After each gift, what are you expecting your child to say? You're expecting your child to turn to their friend or the person and say, thank you for that gift. And if they don't do it, you'll give them the snake eye until they say thank you, right? Because it's important to you that your child be a grateful person. When you sit down with your child and you're doing homework with your child, and you've been there for an hour, hour and a half, and you finally get done with the homework. What do you want to hear the child say to you? You just want to hear him say, thank you, Mom. Thank you, Dad, for helping me, right? When we go out, we buy our kids clothes. We, we, we buy our kids something, go, go take them to a restaurant, and they could order something off of the menu. Or they're sitting down at a meal. A meal that they didn't pay for, nor did they prepare. What are you wanting to hear from the mouth of that little sinner sitting across the table? You, you want to hear, thank you. When one of my relatives would come over during holidays, and they would bring over their spam souffle. I'm not sure it was made of spam. I'm not sure what it was. I'm not sure what it was, to be honest. I just called it spam souffle. And when my mom would put a heaping serving onto my plate of the spam souffle, in which I did not want any spam souffle, but she would put a heaping helping because she wanted me to see, she wanted me to show the relative that I loved her spam souffle. I wanted to spit up the spam souffle. She'd put it on my plate, and my mom would say, now, what do you say to your relative? I can't say their name because they're still alive. I'm trying to protect the guilty, okay? Uh, I, I, I would say, thank you. Now, what I wanted to say was, you have no business in the kitchen. That's what I wanted to say. Someone needs to go to your house and burn your kitchen to the ground right now. 
You need to apologize to every person who's ever made any morsel of food that a human being could eat because you've never even accomplished that. That's what I wanted to say, but that wouldn't have gone over well with my mom and my dad. Why is this so important to us as a parent? Because you don't want your kid to be a brat. You don't want your kid to be an ungrateful jerk. So you want them to learn certain phrases, certain terms. Please and thank you. Now, is this important to us as a parent? Now, is this important to us as a person? But it shouldn't shock us that it's also very important to God that we are grateful people. And let's think about this for a second. During this whole pandemic, has your heart been full of gratitude? Or have you moaned and groaned and griped and complained about all kinds of things that have happened during this time? I've heard people gripe about, I have to wear a mask. Oh, I wanna, and we need to make sure everybody wears mask fights. It's the weirdest thing, isn't it? Did you ever think we'd fight over masks? What a silly thing to fight over. I can't believe the governor. Governor is so stupid. Oh, the governor's doing such a wonderful job. Let me tell you how hard it's been as, as a pastor. They should keep that church closed. I can't believe they're opening that church. How about this one? They need to open that church or I'm going to go to another church. I got both. Can't believe you're opening. If you don't open, I'm never coming back to your church again. Because I'll go to another church that's already open. It's offensive, isn't it? We, we get squeezed a little bit, what comes out of us. It's not very pleasant, is it? And if you read through the Bible, you'll find that God doesn't appreciate it when his children gripe and moan and groan and complain because he wants us to be grateful and he wants us to be thankful people. So let's look at a passage of Scripture where this kind of is the whole central point of the story. It's found in Luke chapter 17. Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. Let's start at verse 12. It says, as Jesus was going into a village... Ten men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. Okay, so here's the situation. we got ten guys, and they've got leprosy. Okay, now leprosy, even to this day, if, if you contract leprosy in a third world country, it's a death sentence. And that's the way it was back in this time period. There was no cure for leprosy. Here's how it would go. You, you would see small patches, small nodules on your skin. And then after over time, it, those patches, those nodules would ulcerate. And I'm told that the smell was unbelievable. And these patches and this ulceration, the smell would come. And immediately you would be ushered out. You, you couldn't be with your wife anymore. You couldn't be with your kids anymore. Because leprosy was so highly contagious, and so they sent you to a leper colony. And that's where you would spend the, the rest of the days of your life. Uh, you were a dead man walking at this point in time because there wasn't any cure. And one of the interesting things about leprosy is there was no uh, blood flow to your extremities. So you couldn't feel your fingers, you couldn't feel your toes, you couldn't feel your nose. Leper colonies are full of rats. And so at night, rats would come in while a leper was asleep, and they would gnaw away at the fingers and the toes and the nose and the ears of the leper, and they would wake, out, wake up with, with their toes gnawed down and their fingers gnawed away, and they didn't even know it happened because they didn't even feel the rat eating their flesh. I've got some pictures of leprosy. I thought I would... I'm just kidding. I don't have any pictures. But you can Google it. 
if you want to. Eventually, leprosy would get in your throat. That's why lepers have a very hoarse-sounding voice because their vocal cords ulcerate. And then it would get into their brain, and they would go into a coma, and they would die. So we've got ten guys, and they've all got a death sentence. They're dead men walking. They've lost their families. They've lost their wife. They've lost their livelihoods. They're stuck in a leper colony, and they're just waiting for the leprosy to so overtake them for it finally enters into their brain where they go into a coma and they, they breathe their last breath. They have no hope at all. But then they, they hear a rumor. They, they hear about a guy by the name of Jesus. And it turns out people are talking about the fact that Jesus has the ability to heal people. That he's already healed people who are deaf and mute and blind and lame. And, and word has it that he's also healed some people who have had contracted leprosy. Their skin was all jacked up and, and it became just as pure and as a newborn baby's skin. So, so they decide to take a risk. They decide to take a chance. They leave the leper colony. Now this was a gutsy move for a leper. Because if you were found outside a leper colony, you had to stay 50 yards away from everybody else. Lepers social distance before social distancing was cool, okay? 50 yards away. And if you came closer than 50 yards, it was lawful for you to be stoned to death. For, for people to gather around you, take softball-sized rocks, and pelt you with those stones until you breathed your last breath. So these guys, they take a tremendous risk by leaving the leper colony, but they have no hope. Do you want to die today by stoning? Or do you want to take a chance and maybe we'll have an, an encounter with Jesus? Because they hear that he's going to be entering into this village. They don't know when, but they think if we stand outside the gate far enough away from everybody else, maybe we'll see him and maybe he'll have mercy upon us. So I don't know how long they stood out there. I don't know if it was days. I don't know if it was weeks. I don't know if it was just a few hours. But when Jesus comes walking into the village, they shout at a distance with their hoarse voices. And, and what do they say? They say, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. And Jesus shouted back, go and show yourself to the priest. Here's what's interesting. If a leper had been cleansed, they had to go show themselves to the priest, and the priest would uh, say that they were now cleansed, and they could go back to their old life. They could go back to their families. They could go back to their livelihoods. They could get their life once again. But here's what's interesting. Jesus says, go show yourself to the priest, and they still have leprosy. So, so hey, Jesus, have mercy on us. Jesus says, go show yourself to the priest. And now they have a choice. Because they're looking down going, why would I show myself to the priest? And if I enter into that village where the priest is at, they're going to stone me to death. Because it's pretty obvious I still have leprosy. So what, what, what would you do? Would you say, well, Jesus, can you kind of heal us now? Because I can't go into town with what I've got on. Jesus said, no, you go on in. You'll be healed along the way. Would you do it? Well, these 10 guys said, well, we might as well. We're going to die either way. So they start heading into town. And as those 10 men walk into town where there was once nubs, now they've got fingers. Now they've got toes. Where they didn't have a nose, now their nose has grown back. They are completely healed. They are completely well. 
Now, you would think at this point in time that they would come running back to Jesus. But they would say, hey, Jesus, man, we go, thank you so much. I'd lost everything. And you've given me everything back. How can I repay you? I cannot thank you enough for what you've done. You would think they would have a heart of gratitude. But the Bible says that only one out of the ten came back to find Jesus to thank him for what he had done. The other nine took off. Now, where did the other nine go? What, what excuses do you think they had? I, I think maybe one had the excuse of, you know, I haven't seen my family in a long time. And here I am, well, I want to tell my wife, I want to tell my kids. I, I, I wanted to thank Jesus, but, you know, I had, I had to get going. I, I, I was so excited that I just couldn't wait to share the good news with my family. That wouldn't be the first time that's happened to somebody, would it? How many times has God come through for you? How many times has he answered a prayer and you celebrate with everybody else, but you forget to tell to him about it and thank him for answering that prayer and doing a miracle in your life? I hate to tell you this next story, but a few months ago in Cammie's first back surgery that lasted over seven hours, there was a bone that was floating in her spinal cord. The surgery was, I mean, she could have been paralyzed. She could have lost her life. And we're scared to death. And then they had to fuse her T11 or T12 and her T13 back together again with all these rods and all these plates and it's terrible stuff. And for seven hours, Christy and I sat in the waiting room and we prayed. And we begged God to guide the hands of the surgeons to get that bone out, to fuse that back together, to be stronger than ever before so she would be whole so that she could have the quality of life that we desired our daughter to have. And we knew that we were in miracle territory. In our minds, this is part in the Red Sea kind of stuff. And we asked and begged and pleaded with God. And seven of the most grueling hours of my life, they finally came out. And they said it was successful. We got the bone. We fused it together. She should be better than she's ever been. The surgery couldn't have gone any better. Our prayers were answered. You would have thought, as soon as the doctor left, that the first thing Christy and I would have done was grabbed hands and prayed and thanked God. But we didn't. We got on the phone, told our family, told our friends. We were so excited. And then they rushed us up to the recovery room. And all of our focus and all of our attention now was on her. It wasn't until 10 o'clock that night when I was driving back to the hotel that God kind of said, hey, you know, you thanked everybody else, so you celebrate with everybody else. What about me? And it was there in the car. I said, I'm so sorry. You're the one that did the miracle. You're the one that got in their hands. You should have been the first one I said thank you to. But you were the last one. How many times in your life have you done that? Or maybe the, maybe the guy, uh, one, of the, one of the guys didn't come back to, to uh, say thank you because he thought it was just all a coincidence. You know, he thought, I mean, I've been taking these herbal supplements, and they're supposed to clean my skin up. So, you know, I feel pretty good about what I was doing already. I think some of them, it's just a coincidence that it happened the way that it did. Or maybe another guy thought, you know, I've got a proactive commercial that I'm shooting right now, and this is going to be great for my before and my after pics. You know, I need to go do that. They, they all had an excuse. When the one comes back, I want you to see what Jesus said. 
He said, we're not all ten cleansed. Where are the other nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And you can hear the hurt in his words, can't you? Here's here's what gets me. We're all spiritual lepers. We have a disease called sin, and there's no cure. No cure that we have. We can't wash away our sin. We can't be good enough to get rid of our sin. We can't be religious enough to get rid of our sin. There's only one thing that will wash away our sin, and that's the precious blood of Jesus Christ. We were dead men and women walking. We had no hope. We called out to Jesus, have mercy on us. And Jesus did. How long has it been since you thank God for your salvation? Thank you for rescuing me. Thank you for saving me from myself. Thank you for forgiving me. How long has it been since you thanked him for the sacrifice that he made for you on the cross? No, we, we just gripe and moan and groan and complain. We're mad about this and we're mad about that. And we end up being more and more ungrateful. I read an interesting article this past week about a guy who was tired of hearing the younger generation gripe and moan and groan and complain. He wrote the following email to explain to teenagers today how good they've got it. This is what he wrote. He said, when I was a kid, we didn't have the internet. If we wanted to know something, we had to go to the library and look it up ourselves in the card catalog. Anybody remember the card catalog? You know what I'm talking about? There was no email. We had to actually write someone a letter with a pen. Then you had to walk all the way across the street and put it in the mailbox, and it would take a week to get there. Stamps were 10 cents. Child Protective Services didn't care if our parents beat us. As a matter of fact, the parents of all my friends also had permission to discipline us. Nowhere was safe. There was no iTunes either. If you wanted a song, you had to wait all day long to tape it off the radio, and the DJ would usually talk over the beginning, messing it up. Do you remember doing that? Come on, let me see you. There weren't any cell phones either. If you left the house, you didn't make a call or receive one. You actually had to be out of touch with your friends. Think of the horror not being in touch with someone 24-7. And then there's texting. Yeah, right. Please, you kids have no idea how annoying you are. And we didn't have fancy caller ID either. When the phone rang, you had no idea who it was. It could be your school, your parents, your boss. You just didn't know. You had to pick it up and take your chances. We didn't have any fancy PlayStation or Xbox video games with high-resolution 3D graphics. We had an Atari 2600. (laughs) With games like Space Invaders and Asteroids, your screen guy was a little square. You actually had to use your imagination. There was no multiple levels or screens. It was just one screen forever. You could never win. The game was just getting harder and harder and faster and faster until you died just like life. You had to use a little book called a TV guide to find out what was on. You had to get up and walk over to the TV to change the channel. And car seats, oh, please. Mom threw you in the back seat and you hung on. 
If you were lucky, you got the safety arm across the chest at the last moment if she suddenly stopped. And if your head hit the dashboard, well, that was your fault for calling shotgun in the first place. See, that's exactly what I'm talking about. You kids today have got it too easy. You're spoiled rotten. You guys wouldn't have lasted five minutes back in the 80s or any time before. Regards the over 30 crowd. Now, as funny as that is, do you fully understand how good you've got it even during the pandemic? We still got it pretty good, and the Bible tells us this. We're supposed to do everything without complaining or arguing because our griping is offensive to the one who's blessed us so very, very much. And, and get, do everything. It's a high standard, isn't it? Not some things, not a few things. Do everything without complaining or arguing. I read a story this past week about a, a, a tour guide in Ireland, and he was taking this one tourist group around. And uh, he had one woman who was just a griper and a moaner and a groaner and a complainer. I mean, nothing was good enough for this woman. She was just putting it on him every time. The lines were too long. The food was terrible. Oh, she didn't like the weather. She always had something that was wrong. Well, on this particular day, they're supposed to go to Blarney's Castle. And in Blarney's Castle, there's a Blarney Stone. And if you kiss the Blarney Stone, you're supposed to get good luck. Well, she's so excited. She said all day long, I just can't wait to get to Blarney's Castle, kiss the Blarney Stone. I need good luck. I'm going to kiss the Blarney Stone today, and I'm going to get good luck. But when they got there, there was construction on the Blarney Castle. And they couldn't get to the Blarney Stone. And the tour guide was the one who heard the news first. And he just dreaded telling that woman because he knew that she was going to unleash upon him. And so he got the group together. And he said, listen, I'm really sorry. I know you've come a long way. You've spent a lot of money to be here. But the Blarney Stone isn't available for kissing today. They're still doing construction on that part of the castle. I'm so very sorry. And oh, man, she just went off. I cannot believe this. I came all this way. It cost me thousands of dollars to get here. And I just got to kiss that Blarney Stone. I've got to get good luck. And on and on and on she went. Finally, the tour guide said, you know, I, I've heard a legend. That if you kiss someone who's kissed the Blarney Stone, it's as good as kissing the Blarney Stone yourself. She said, really? Have you kissed the Blarney Stone? He said, no, but I've sat on it. <laughs> Don't send me emails. That was funny, okay? <laughs> Friends, what... <laughs> I'm on the edge, aren't I? <laughs> what do you have to be thankful for today? I wrote a few things down. A million miracle muscles enable your eyes to read and your brain to process words. That's something to be thankful for. Your lungs inhale and exhale 11,000 liters of air every day. Your heart will beat 3 billion times in your lifetime. You should be thankful for every heartbeat. Your brain is an electric generator of power. Thank you, God, for the jam on my toast, to the milk in my cereal, to the warm blanket, and to the warmth of the sun that reminds me of the love of God. Thank you, Lord. One more thing. I, I think we should be thankful for the people that God's placed in our life because they're the ones that get the brunt of the griping and the complaining. We need to be thankful for imperfect gifts and imperfect people. Years ago, I was uh, having knee surgery, and I was having a hard time coming out of the anesthesia. 
In fact, I was in the recovery room uh, three times longer than everybody else was. In fact, I was the last person to leave the recovery room that day. I was supposed to be in the recovery room for about an hour or two, but three, four, five, six hours went by. They kept telling me to breathe. I felt like I was breathing, but they said I wasn't breathing deep enough. And all these whistles and bells kept going off, and I kept passing out, falling back asleep again. They kept filling me with more drugs, and just the cycle just continued. And so my wife was concerned because she'd seen all these other people, you know, they had surgery and they had already left and all, it, the waiting room was emptying out and there wasn't any, and just her. She kept wondering what was going on. They just kept saying, we're having a hard time. His heart's not pumping hard enough and he's not breathing deep enough and we're just having a difficult time bringing him back. And she grew concerned and questions came into her mind. How will she spend all the insurance money? No, she was thinking things like, how am I going to raise three kids on my own? What am I going to do? Who will I marry next? These were, <laughs> she better not have been. When she finally went back to the recovery room and I finally was able to get up and, and to get ready to, to go, she was so sweet to me. And, and, and it was sweeter than normal and my wife's always sweet. But this was like, wow, really sweet. And I kept thinking, I need to have more of these near-death experiences because she's never been this nice to me before in my life. But isn't that the way we are? We're not grateful till it's taken away from us or till it's almost taken away from us. We should be grateful for that imperfect house because you've got shelter and a lot of people don't. Should be grateful for your imperfect job with all those imperfect people you work with that you gripe about. Boy, there's a lot of people out of work. And they'd give anything to put up with the same people you put up with every day to get a paycheck to be able to pay their bills. We should be grateful for health, for our imperfect bodies, because there's a lot of people in the hospital right now and they're not sure what today or tomorrow is going to hold. We need to be grateful for our imperfect family because there's a lot of people going home and they're going to be alone and they love to be a part of your imperfect families. This next week, all week long, catch yourself. And every time you gripe, every time you moan, groan, complain about this, that, or the other, you apologize to the Lord. And you shoot up five thank yous. Thank you for this. Thank you for this. Thank you for this. Thank you for this. Stop focusing on what you don't have. And focus on what you do. Because you have been blessed so very, very much. Let me pray for you. Dear Heavenly Father, during this whole pandemic, uh, what's been coming out of me is a lot of griping and a lot of complaining. And I know it hasn't been beneficial to me, to my family, to my staff, to my friends. And I know it's been offensive to you. So Lord, help me to focus on the things that matter, the things that last. Help me to be a grateful person, a thankful person. Oh God. May not another word of complaint come out of my mouth. And when it does, 
may I be quick to repent and remember the blessings that you've given to me. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.